Hi folks, it's Dr. Christine Sauer. Welcome to my show, Your Quality of Life Healthy Alternatives. And today I'm extremely happy to have Alyssa Scolari. Do I pronounce it right? You sure did. <laughs> my show, Alyssa is a licensed therapist who specializes in trauma and eating disorder recovery in her private practice. She's also the host of the Light After Trauma podcast, which is meant to be an informative, inspirational and safe space for those looking for support as they navigate the difficult yet extremely rewarding journey of recovering from trauma. Welcome, Alyssa. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to have you. It's such an important and timely topic. PTSD, trauma. Why are you so passionate about that topic? That is a wonderful question. So I have always been very passionate about mental health, especially as a, even as a child, small child have always been passionate about it. And looking back, I didn't understand at the time, but the reason why I was so passionate about it is because I struggled with it myself so much. Uh, and then when I got older into my twenties, I realized that I myself had a history of trauma that was masked with an eating disorder. And I think just through my own, uh, trauma recovery and the work that I've done. And, you know, I, I am diagnosed with complex PTSD. So I think that with that, that is how I was, it inspired me to then go ahead and say, okay, I need to help others through this. Wow. Now, Alyssa, that was very generic and my listeners always want to hear the juicy details. Can you elaborate <laughs> what kind of trauma and uh, or is it too much? When it's too much, I don't want to trigger anything. Oh, no, absolutely. I'm, I'm very comfortable talking about it. So I have a history of childhood sexual abuse um, and domestic violence. So I've had multiple abusers over across my lifetime, uh, beginning when I was probably about four or five and lasting up until I was about 24 or 25. So about 20 years and I'm 29 now. So I'm, I'm about four, almost five years removed from it. Congratulations in one way. And I'm sorry Thank to you. lasted so long on the other side. But it is more common than people want to believe. It really is. And the more often it happens, the more likely it is to continue to happen. So, you know, when it happens one time, that increases the likelihood of sexual abuse happening again and again and again. And that's, that's not just necessarily for sexual abuse. That also can be for, you know, domestic violence, abusive relationships, all types of, of trauma. Now, I heard from some clients and I read about it, of course, that many children that experience sexual abuse blame themselves and say, there must be something in me that they do it to me, or it's, it's okay that they're doing it. They must know what they are doing. How did you experience this, that abuse growing up until you realized it's not okay? Yeah, that's, that is the nitty gritty of the work that I think that I do with so many of my clients. I work with both children and adults, and this is very common. And personally, this is how I had felt my whole life, that it was my fault, that there was something wrong with me. Hmm. And 
I think we tell ourselves that in a way because it makes us, it gives us a false sense of control. If I can tell myself that it's my fault, that I'm the issue and that my sexual or, or my abuser sexually abused me because of a problem with me, then it gives me some sense of power and some sense of control. And then that's where we go on sort of these self-destructive uh, tangents where we are, we are cutting, we are using drugs, we are drinking because we hate ourselves for what happened. It makes us feel like we're in control. It would be too heinous for us to imagine a world that exists in which we had no control over such a violating, horrific crime, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It, 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 it must be from a child's perspective, a horrific traumatic event when they realize it wasn't supposed to happen or when it's really bad abuse and it's actually physical hurting them. Not just a little fondling, which is bad enough, but sometimes I've seen it as a dermatologist in the hospital, children that had been brutally raped. Yes. Babies. Oh my God, how can anybody do that? What it's a trauma physically and emotionally they go through. And you deal with all that in your practice. My respect to you. I do. I, I, I deal with all of that in my, in my practice. Thank you. Uh, your, your kind words are not lost on me. I really enjoy what I do, which sounds a little bit twisted, but when I can help see people to a place where they are thriving and in healthy relationships and have healthy sex lives to me, that makes it all worth it. Yeah. So Phoenix out of the ashes and, and you grew up being abused and now you help others that they at least don't abuse their children and prevent hopefully others from being abused. What a wonderful development and how wonderful to do that. Let's go back. Uh, when did you first realize that really what you have is trauma, that it's trauma? So that's a very interesting story. So I had had, I had no idea. If you had asked me 10 years ago, if I had a history of trauma, I would have been like, no, uh, because I think the general consensus is that trauma and PTSD are saved for one category of people, which is those who fight in the war, right? Th those who go to war. A lot of people associate PTSD with, you know, with veterans. And uh, so I had no idea. I, but what I did have was a raging eating disorder, uh, very, very sick, always fluctuating, like up and down a hundred pounds, uh, up a hundred, down a hundred, which is a significant amount of weight and takes a toll on the body in itself. So, right. What was I doing? I was punishing myself subconsciously. I was punishing myself for all of the abuse that I had endured. I met my now husband and we got married and this was, we got married in 2018, 2018. And shortly after that, I started to have memories and they were not whole memories. They were little snippets, little screenshots. I, I often use the analogy it's like somebody mailing you a single puzzle piece 
good one. When you wake up in the morning and go check your mail and you have no idea what kind of puzzle this is, how many pieces there are, when the next one is coming, you just have this singular puzzle piece. And it probably makes you feel awful. Awful. Very confused. And of course, the first thought is I'm crazy. I'm out of my, I have lost my mind, right? Because it's that sense of control. Well, if I'm crazy, I would rather be crazy than have this be true. So that's really how it started for me. It was after I had moved out of my home and was in a, in a house with a man, a partner who was very, very safe. I created a really safe foundation for myself and a safe life. And it was then that the memories started to surface because I was ready. I was ready to know. That's interesting. Yeah. You, it doesn't, didn't come out until you were ready to know. Wow. And the brain is amazing. It protects yes. us in so many ways. Absolutely. And the uh, brain is the most fascinating organ there is. Yes. Um, it, 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 is, it is mind-boggling how often survivors, especially of childhood trauma, do not remember anything until later on. And I think even in the justice system, but generally in population, oh, she didn't remember it, so now she's making it up. Ugh. And it's just not true. It's just not true. And it's, it's infuriating. Um, you know, one, one of my abusers, I, I did go to the authorities for, and I remember in that moment after they had done an investigation on him, ultimately, I could not remember quite enough for them to be able to follow through with charging him. And the police officer had said, pick out his private parts out of a lineup. Is that it? Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like, let's just, ha- right. Let me try to pick him out of a lineup. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, it, and that's the kind of evidence you need. And I remember when she called me and she said to me, well, you know, I get that you might be upset, but you wouldn't want me to throw his whole life away over something that may or may not be true. Oh, you your life away and that's okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Interesting. Yes. What did you feel in that moment? Rage. A rage. I, it took me a while to be fully in touch with my rage. My eating disorder helped suppress a lot of that. I think anytime I would feel anger, I would binge. And when I would binge, then I would be sick. So then the rage would just sort of go away, be suppressed but I felt so much rage. And at the time I actually was working with the police department and working with police officers was too triggering for me. I did not at that moment branch out into full-time private practice. And I think after the investigator, the police officer called me and said what she said to me on the phone, I was done, done. And I think I, I dove 110% into launching my private practice, launching my podcast. I channeled my rage effectively. Mm. Wow. So why is it that some people after a traumatic event develop PTSD? And maybe you should elaborate for those people. How does it feel to have PTSD? Besides people know there's often flashbacks, memories that make people feel anxious and uncomfortable. 
but there's so much more, especially to complex PTSD. But how do we get it? And what does it look like? I think that's a really important question because it's very important to note that not everybody who endures some type of trauma will develop PTSD. It's not, it's not a sure thing. The difference between those who develop PTSD and those who don't can range from a, a variety of different things. Genetics also have a, a lot to do with it. We know this, um, but also it's about the support that you have in that moment. If you get the help that you need, if you are supported by friends and family and loved ones and believed, you are so much less likely to develop symptoms of PTSD because you don't question it. You know what happened, you go through the grieving process, you feel all the feelings, and then you're able to more easily move on with your life. Allah. Go ahead, so I'm sorry. For, for the kids, you would say it is that they're probably getting it easier because they're just not believed often. Uh, what about for first responders and veterans? They be, I believe they witnessed a horrendous accident, somebody decapitated in front of them or something like that. And some people get over it in some way and others they can't. What's the difference? Yeah. That's a, it's a great question. And I, I also think that that boils down to boils down to genetics. And it also boils down to, you know, does this person have a history of trauma mm. right before even serving in the military, let's say, right. If we're going with the example for somebody who serves in the military, what was their life like before? Mm -hmm. Have they been told their whole lives? A lot of times as adults, we've grown up with this narrative that we get passed down to us from the adults in our lives that our voice doesn't matter, that children are to be seen and not heard. Mm -hmm. And when we become adults with that belief that we are to be seen and not heard, we're so much more likely to develop PTSD mm -hmm. than somebody else who's been validated their whole lives, who has been, you know, no family is perfect. I won't sit here and say that, you yeah. know, there's the perfect family out there. Absolutely not. But there, there's a big difference. And I think that genetics along with how people were raised and what their childhood looks like plays into it a lot. Yeah, and some people call it the landscape or the brain reserve. I think that's the same concept. If somebody yes. has trauma pre-existing, it makes them vulnerable. Absolutely. And, 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 and you're, you're so right. So you develop an eating disorder and it's not rare because some people develop an eating disorder like bulimia, anorexia, or even obesity is an eating disorder because some people cover up their abuse by food. So they think when they're really fat, nobody will want them. So they are protected from having to have sex, which is the feared modality. So Absolutely. How do you heal now, really, if you have an eating disorder in this diet obsessed world, world where you go on the video and you see the retouched, perfect people that look like Triggy and you see, oh, I have to look like them to be anything? Yeah. Yes. So, how do you begin to recover from that? How do you begin question? to? And how do you do it? And how did you do it? <sighs> oh, I get it. I get to you. <laughs> Very difficult in this diet obsessed world. And one of the first things that I do when people come into my office 
and they come to me for, and let's take uh, like binge eating disorder, because I think that binge eating disorder is very prominent in this world. And there's so much stigma attached because of fat phobia that people don't speak about it. So I will have people who come into my office and will say, I don't know why I can't stop binging. And one of the first things I say is, well, who are you following on social media? Let's talk about that because you spend so much of your time on social media and if not social media, then television. So who are you looking at right now? That's making you feel like who you are is not enough. That's a good one. And I always find like, I think that's the first step is let's not infiltrate our social media feeds and our lives with people who are constantly talking about, you know, never miss a Monday working out or, you know, uh, you know, get fit or, you know, de detox this diet that like, no, let's get rid of that. And then here are some people you can add that are more intuitive eating based and exercise for enjoyment based instead of exercise, because you want to punish yourself for having fat on your body. So it's typically one of like the very first step I do right out of the gate. I, I love that. I really do because it is so much more important to change that uh, destructive, really, body image. So um, destructive. So when you're destructive. looking at somebody, when you're on social media 25 times a day, when you click that Instagram button and you, you, the first thing you see is a picture of somebody who is a, a weight that may be healthy for them, maybe not. But just because it's healthy for them doesn't mean anything about what's healthy for you. But as soon as you see that, you think I have to be like that. I have to be like that. And it's like, no, let's, let's remove that right from the get-go. And especially young people that tend to so much compare themselves with everybody there on social media. It just makes them unhappy. I feel bad. It does. It really oh. does. And especially if there was trauma, often people feel so guilty and ashamed about having endured that, especially when it comes to private. And I find in North America, people are especially prude. Me being from, uh, from Germany, funny story, I went in the sauna here, being from Germany, I sat on my towels, but naked. And somebody opened the door. It was a women's sauna. In Germany, we have mixed saunas. Now here's a women's sauna. Fine. So I sat on my towel. Oh. Didn't think of nothing. Somebody came in. <gasps> back out. And I thought, oh, my God. I mean, I'm not pretty naked, but I'm not that bad. <laughs> I'm not a green monster. Right. And you didn't need to scream like that. Jeez. I, I told my best friend. And she said, you did what? And I was like, Yeah. <laughs> aren't you supposed to be naked in this no you have to have at least a, a, a bikini or something and I said really so from then on I put a towel over me too for respect for the other people but that that's what I'm saying that's a guilt and shame part absolutely I was just gonna say isn't that so interesting because that just goes to show you how much we have come to sexualize nudity yeah right, right? like your body can't just be a body yeah. It, and like, why can't we sit in the sauna naked? Why do we have to wear a bikini? Bodies are not inherently sexual. No. Like, why are we horrified by seeing another naked body? It just, it, see, it seems silly to me. It seems silly. And especially being from a, I grew up in Germany until I was 38. Then I came to Canada. I live here now for the last 23 years. So I've seen both sides. And as a young girl, 
I was with my parents in nudist camps and everybody wow. run around with nothing on and we mm -hmm. bathed in the lakes with nothing on and the only time when we put a bottom on was when we sat down to eat for hygiene reason makes sense but yeah. nobody looked nobody the men women they were all around and they some were pretty some most were not but who cares right a body <laughs> and, is a body but the only thing in those campsites single men were not allowed so there's a pointer oh that's interesting because they must have had trouble with single men looking at single girls right and sexualizing them in a place where you're just meant to be nude without yeah. the sexual connotations Enjoying your body exactly yeah and, and that is interesting so i think from a psychological standpoint but let's go back to guilt and shame and trauma because it makes it even worse when you are sexually abused in north america and then comes that cultural oh everything that goes on down below on your body is shameful yes you can't talk about it yes you can't talk about it and it's we're we're taught to just constantly cover up and in a way that almost makes us disconnect from our bodies even more because there's never really a time where it's okay to just be with your body without needing some article of clothing on that's true and even little girls they wear bikini in Europe, I had no top until I was 10 or 11. Yeah. Nobody thought about it. Nobody My thought twice about I it. Was three years older than I, until he was six or so, we were on the beach completely with nothing. Here, you couldn't see a small child without at least the bottom. Interesting. Yeah, it really is. So that that's, that's just something about guilt and shame, how cultural determined it is. Now let's go back to PTSD that you're seeing every of course. day. How can somebody that had a serious trauma, and there's many people that do, start to get, start in their recovery? What can they do? Because there is recovery out there. It's not hopeless, isn't it? Yeah, not at all. And I think it's, you know, I am a therapist and I think that therapy is a, is a wonderful thing and can be very helpful, but I also think there's so much more to trauma recovery because trauma affects your entire nervous system. It affects your, the subconscious mind. It affects parts of you that you don't even always have access to. So mm -hmm. I really think that, you know, a try to find somebody to talk to and be relentless in the search. Just because you sit down and meet with one person and you don't feel like it clicks, doesn't mean you're stuck with that person. If you don't feel safe with that person, move on to the next one. It's a bit like an interview process. You're the client interviewing the therapists. Good tip. Very true. I did it myself and I recovered from my severe depression and uh, I didn't have much choice then. But uh, it is very important to find somebody that resonates with you. Yes. And that is one factor why many therapists even offer a trial session, say, let's see. Let's see if I can help you. Right. And, let's see if this yeah. is a good fit, because yeah. not everybody is a good fit. And there are, I think, I think trauma and PTSD is, is uh, somewhat trendy right now. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that there are people out there who are marketing themselves incorrectly 
as trauma, PTSD therapists. So, you know, if it doesn't feel right for you, move on. Yeah. And, and maybe check the background too, because I've seen people with the marketing background uh, that call themselves PTSD coach or whatever. It's maybe not a good fit. Not a good fit. Ab- no. Absolutely. Check the background. And I've always found that a re- one red flag, um, at least for me in, in my search, when I was looking for a therapist is, you know, oftentimes when you look, it'll, the therapist will have a list of things that he, she, or they specialize in. And if every single thing under the sun is on that list, that's usually a red flag, right? Mm-hmm. Because no, none of us can specialize in everything. So if you're looking at, at a list and this, this person is saying that they specialize in trauma, eating disorders, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, depression, anxiety, seasonal affective disorder, it's like, oh, red flag. I can help you. Uh, what's your problem? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's interesting. And there's then there's a difference between coaches again and therapists and some coaches feel that therapists don't know what they're doing or they just work with the past and it's just not true but there's differences between therapists too and there's differences between coaches and some coaches like myself work as coaches because they just didn't get a license in north america for some reason i was a physician in germany but i don't get a license in north america because i was sick no longer but it's too late so you mm. look at the background it's it's so important there's excellent coaches there's more excellent therapists <laughs> that's my opinion yeah and i tend to believe that both therapists and coaches because i do think there is a little bit of a silent battle between therapists and coaches Absolutely. i believe that we can both learn from each other Absolutely. i think that coaches have things to offer about some more present day healing and therapists have other things that they can offer. Um, I think we could learn from each other. I really do. I am always for collaboration in all areas of medicine. I always say health and healing is always teamwork. I've not met a single person that had a complicated illness, not just a broken finger, that only needed one person to get them well. Exactly. I haven't seen that person. And when somebody says, oh, I can heal you, run. (laughs) Unless it's God and you're dying. Okay, maybe that's... Exactly. (laughs) I shouldn't laugh about that. For some people, that's very serious. I like to chuckle. Oh, yes. It's humor therapy. That's that's one of my favorite specialties. I specialize in humor therapy. I love that. (laughs) A good belly laugh, laughter is the best medicine. It is. When I was still working as a physician, I always found something to laugh about. And I have my favorite jokes that I share with my client when it's appropriate. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love that. Yeah. But getting back to PTSD, which really is your specialty, what can happen if it gets untreated or undertreated? Yes. So this is why it is so important to not ignore it because it leads to a whole host, you know, as I touched on earlier, trauma doesn't just affect, you know, one part of you, it affects the entire nervous system, the entire brain folks with 
PTSD, truly, if you took a scan of their brain and you looked at somebody who did not have PTSD, the scan, their brain would look completely different. Yes. And, and as a, as a licensed Dr. Amen brain professional, I know his SPECT scans and he has SPECT scans where you can identify PTSD and differentiate it from depression, anxiety, and for example, traumatic brain injury. Yes. It's fascinating. So the brain scans show that there's a physical substance to it. It's not just in your head. You're not just imagining it. Yeah. It's, you are not imagining it. It is a very real illness. And if left untreated, it, it leads to suicide attempts or suicide completions. It leads to, uh, unsatisfactory relationships. It leads to increased levels of chronic depression, increased levels of, of chronic anxiety, heightened cortisol uh, levels in your body, which is the stress hormone, which over a period of time has a devastating effect on your body. It will, it can lead to heart issues. It can lead to, you know, people turning to substance abuse. I mean, I mean, so many things can happen. Diabetes, Alzheimer's, they all have to do with the constant stress that a PTSD puts on you. And we even had here in Nova Scotia, you probably didn't heard of it. We had actually, it was a veteran who had PTSD and did not get the help he needed in time. He ended up uh, committing homicide, killed his family. Ugh. A very tragic event. And it is important to get PTSD treated. And please, if everybody, anybody lists, reach out for help. I know it's hard, but it's so worth it. It's so hard, but it's harder to live a life in a constant state of, of being traumatized. Yeah. And it's important, everybody that had emotional pain, and I'm one of them, I nearly committed suicide twice. Mm -hmm. And I know what emotional pain feels like. And people don't see it. They don't know it. It, is, it can't be easily treated. And most of the medications that are available just reduce it a little bit and cover it up a little bit. Yes, it's, it's, it's essentially like kind of sweeping things under the rug. Yeah. It's the same as if you're stepping on a nail and you take a towel. No, you don't yes. feel the pain, but the nail is still there. So it's the important. nail is still there. When you have that, you need to work with a psychotherapist or similar practitioner, psychiatrist to get it sorted out and get a good treatment plan. And that's so important. Yeah. What are some of the tools that are your favorites when you are working with your clients? So um, definitely the social, social media, let's, let's change what we're looking at on social media in terms of, of, uh, recovery from PTSD. Some of my favorite tools are just keeping it simple because when you first begin this work, it can feel so overwhelming that I think a lot of times when people just dive right in they become so overwhelmed that they shut down and they say, I can't do this. And then they don't do it. So I'm really a big fan of the little things and very um, like somatic experiences. So, you know, what can you do to regulate your nervous system a little bit? One of the biggest tips I will give is, Hey, do you have Epsom salt? All right. 
you know what you're going to do? You're going to fill up your tub with Epsom salt and you're going to sit in it for 15 minutes because Epsom salt, right? Folks who have depression and anxiety, which always goes hand in hand with PTSD, tend to be deficient in magnesium. And what is in Epsom salt? Magnesium. And it's best and absorbed. Sulfate and the sulfur is important too. It's exactly. A and godsend, it's- Epsom salt. I love yes, it. Yes. It's a godsend. And it is best absorbed through the skin and you can go online, you can buy a bag or you can buy it in any of your local stores. And how about a few drops of lavender essential oil? Mm, the smell and goes directly to your limbic system. Yes, ah. it's amazing. And they make Epsom salts now that are infused with essential oils. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Teals makes a, a lavender infused one. And then I also have right now the eucalyptus mm-hmm. infused. Huh. Lavender is known to help with anxiety, depression. There are good controlled studies about it. Yes. And I, 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 I think there's nothing nicer than a nice, bub- not bubble bath, Epsom salt bath with lavender, maybe a few candles and some of your favorite calm music, not hard rock, but maybe <laughs> Mozart or something similar. Exactly. And, you know, I, I also want to point out that I do know for some folks and this, including myself at one point in my life, baths were too triggering. Mm -hmm. Some people have a really hard time, you know, like we were talking about earlier, just sitting with their bodies being naked, that alone can be triggering. So if a bath is too, is too triggering, I will also recommend get some Epsom salt, pour it in a cup, bring the cup in the shower and then scoop some in your hand while you're in the shower and rub it over your body like an exfoliant. And that can feel really good as well. Yeah. And it has the effect that you're, oh. Like you're hugging yourself. You're hugging yourself and that makes you more likely to love yourself. That is so lovely. So Wrapping that up, what are one or two tips that somebody that may have a trauma that you can leave them with before you share how they can get in touch with you? Yeah, so so tip number one, I think would be to, again, be relentless in your pursuit for healing because healing does not look the same on everybody. And what worked for me will not work for you, which might not work for somebody else. There are so many things out there that you can do to heal. Healing doesn't just take place in a one hour therapy session. So know that that is, is, yep. That is tip number one. Tip number two, and I think that this is the most important one, and this is something that I needed and some days still need to tell myself over and over again, which is to not make permanent decisions based off of temporary emotions. Mm. Write that down, put it on a post-it note, put it on your mirror, put it in your kitchen, because when you get into that state where your nervous system is triggered, or if you are feeling increasingly depressed those dark thoughts come in, those suicidal thoughts, homicidal thoughts creep in, thoughts of, of being reckless. I'm going to get my car and I'm going to drive oh, you know, way over the speed limit and we'll just see what happens. Wait it out. Wait it out. Wait until the next day. Do not make a permanent decision based off emotions, which are absolutely temporary. So that would be my second tip. Awesome. Thank you so much. And as you mentioned in your bio, 
it's important that people realize that they too are worthy of healing and happiness in the aftermath of trauma. You're wow. worth it. So Alyssa, if somebody really likes you and wants to work with you, how can they reach you and listen to your podcast? Sure. So the best way to get in touch with me, if, if people want to check out the podcast, it's called Light After Trauma. Um, and that can be found really wherever you like to listen to podcasts. And if you want to learn more about my podcast, that can just be found on my website, which is lightaftertrauma.com. If somebody is looking to work with me on an individual level in private practice, my other website for my private practice is just my first name and last name. It's alyssascolari.com. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. And under the video, I will share those links and in the podcast notes, of course, so uh, people can have a way of finding you if they liked it and want to learn more about how it would feel to work with you. Maybe Thank you so much. It would be a way to get them the help they so yearn for. And please, any of you, if you are currently struggling with suicide or homicide, don't wait reach out to someone, call 911, go to the emergency room, talk to your friends and neighbors. Don't just do it. Like Alyssa said, don't make a permanent decision based on temporary emotions. Yes. And with that, I wrap it up. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.